0: Hello and welcome to the 21st Century Leadership Podcast. I'm Brett Sadler and in this series I'm exploring how leaders need to respond to the challenges and changes of our times. For over a year now I've been recording conversations with top leaders and leadership thinkers and throughout this series we've been delving ever deeper into some of the profound shifts that are going to shape the new leadership landscape in the years ahead. Having taken a look at what the government's thinking is with Matthew Taylor who chaired the Review into the Future of Work, In this episode, we're back to the topic and the theme for the series of 21st century leadership. Today, I'm with David Rook and Jennifer garvey Berger, and we'll be discussing the leadership development framework and how leaders need to embrace ambiguity. David has been at the forefront of working and consulting around leadership since setting up his consultancy in 1985. In 2005, he co-wrote with Bill Torbert, the award-winning and highly influential Harvard Business Review paper The Seven Transformations of Leadership, which brought the Leadership Development Framework to popular attention. Jennifer's business is called Cultivating Leadership, which I love because it's all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to cultivate the right environment. She's also authored and co-authored five books, including Changing on the Job and most recently, Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps. And we'll be hearing about some of those later. David, would you like to talk through how you guys came together and um, how you started to work together.
1: Uh, yeah, I'd be delighted. Uh, I think J- Jennifer and I w- work in the, same, in the same broad field, um, which, is, um, which is to explore the question of, of, of adult development and, and how that relates to, to leaders. Um, and to how leaders develop, uh, and there's a number of different ways into that field. But there are there are some thinkers who I think have, have, have had a kind of enormous uh, uh, impact, uh, and one of them is Bob Bob Keegan. So Jennifer studied with with Bob Keegan, and she'll no doubt say say more about that. But Bob Keegan also influenced many of the people that have influenced me, um, and so it 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 made sense that at some point uh, our worlds would would coincide, and in fact. The first time I met Jennifer was in, in Oxford, um, I've lost track of years, but something like 10 years ago uh, when I went and um, and studied with her uh, looking at the subject object uh, interview process, uh, which was um, about, into, about enriching the field that I was already working in, uh, which is that process of, of, me- of meaning making. And so our, 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 our worlds and particularly our, our consultancy world have overlapped uh, over that time. So, and just recently, we've 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 been working on a couple of conferences together, uh, and bringing ideas,
0: uh, our ideas, into that. Cool, cool. So, Jennifer, what what drew you to um, collaborate with David?
2: I collaborate with people who are very interesting and fun to work with, and David <laughs> has both of those traits beautifully. Um, I I'm fascinated by the way David thinks about the world. Um, about we we do come from quite a similar um, quite a similar theoretical base and and we've been having our practices separate for a long time, and so hearing the way the theoretical sort of roots have grown different fruits in david 's garden than they have in my garden has been a really interesting conversation and it's been interesting to push ideas around together
0: cool cool so yeah sounds similar to my experience as well um i first found out about david through the harvard business review paper and looking at that and the the concept which it really brought to the fore which was the leadership development framework really appealed to me the idea that uh, most leadership tools tended to categorise people and say you're this type of your leader or you're that type of leader. Whereas this was much more about actually understanding that leadership evolves over time and how we lead individually evolves over time and also according to context. So that's what really appealed to me was the idea that there's a crossover between how we develop as individuals and how we grow as individuals and how we develop and grow as leaders so, David, where did all that kind of thinking come from?
1: Do you mean the, the, the history of that, of that thinking?
0: Yeah, well, how, how did the leadership development framework evolve?
1: Well, it, it started a very, very long time ago, in the sense that, that, that if, you, if you look back to, kind of to, to Buddhist philosophy particularly, the, the idea of human potentiality and what it is within us that may grow um, has, been, has been around for a long time. And people, you know, have been growing and developing uh, without a, a necessarily having a framework that tells them what that might be. But very, very interestingly, um, if you move forward 2,000 years and, and, and look at some of our contemporary thinkers, um, so, um, Piaget um, played um, a really significant role in thinking about how kids develop, how young people develop through to early adulthood. And and he brought forward a, a framework which I think has been enormously influential, which is the idea that we make sense of things in categorically different ways, each way slightly more complex than the way that came before and including the one that came before. So, so Piaget, um, uh, it was extremely helpful in creating that and then a whole bunch of thinkers including people like Kohlberg who started to think about moral development uh, started to follow through with those, with those um, ideas that Piaget had started um, and they started to apply them to adults and that's the really crucial the crucial thing that, that the question is how is it that adults make sense of the world and does it progress in any way that's, um, that's differentiated?
0: Yeah yeah I think that's brilliant because there used to be this idea that you know you have all these developmental stages as children and then you become an adult as though you're sort of a fully formed human being now uh, and that there's no real that until then there was no real concept of progression as adults and how we how we develop and, and continue to grow and go through go through phases um, for for example one of the things that i find particularly Irksome, I suppose, is the concept of the midlife crisis. Because to me, the idea that there comes a point in your life where you actually stop and step back and reevaluate things is fairly normal and healthy. Uh, so to call it a crisis, I, I, I think um, it kind sure. of demeans the experience. <laughs> so um, the leadership development framework looks at how we expand our view as leaders as we progress. Um, and it seems to me that that as that happens, that there are certain transition points. And, if you, and your paper talks about the seven transformations of leadership. So as you go from one stage to the next, then there's some kind of transformation. But what appears to me to be critical is that the first stages, as we initially start to burp, are very ecocentric. It's egocentric. It's very much based around our own needs and our perceived needs of what's in our immediate environment. Whereas there comes a point of transformation where we start to look at things more externally and we start to look back at ourselves as well as seeing ourselves in a bigger context. And so in terms of how we lead, we're concerned about the bigger picture, much more so than just what's going on immediately in front of us. So in your work what have you found to be the main things that that cause the blockages? And and you might like to jump in on this Jennifer as well, um, looking at unlocking the leadership mind traps because that seems to uh, echo that kind of thinking.
1: Well, I think, I think a place to start, and I, I can kind of welcome Jennifer in, in, into this space, is, is not so much to focus, I would say, on blockages, but to, to have a look to start with a, at, the, uh, at the shifts in form of mind, if you like, a way of thinking, a way of perceiving that occur, that can occur through, <clears throat> through adult life. Um, and uh, the LDF offers one framework, but uh, Bob Keegan's work offers another. And Jennifer, I wonder whether it would be helpful to step through those some of those changes.
2: I'd be happy to. There are um, fewer in the Bob Keegan frame, uh, not seven, uh, but basically the both of these sets of theories describe a pattern, um, as as you were just saying, Brett, where. Earlier on in our lives, we are more um, more concerned with ourselves because in fact, it's all we can be concerned with. We cannot yet earlier in our lives take the perspectives, take and hold the perspectives of other people. So we, um, we are necessarily egocentric because it's kind of all there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we kind of open up to the perspectives and ideas and the minds of others. And we become in many ways enmeshed with them as we open up our our mind and their mind flow together into one thing. We call that the socialized mind um, in this set of theories. Uh, And for most of human history, that would have been the pinnacle, right? Like that's that socialized mind where we are connected to one another, where we are happy to subordinate our desires the desires of the collective that's probably you know that built us cathedrals and created culture and religion and all manner of human advancement um and it's only as the world has gotten more complex that that has become a, a difficulty that form of mind as you as you are not in a place where a single a single pathway lies before you but there are so many choices and so many voices and you have to figure out which ones to follow or in fact whether to follow any of them and then the shift that you see now is people kind of picking up the pen to write their own their own stories in a self-authored way Uh, and in that space, you see sort of the image of the modern leader. You know, you were talking about 21st century leadership uh, mm-hmm. as, as we opened, uh, the, I think the 20th century leader looks like a self-authored leader. And there are questions about whether even that will become um, too narrow a perspective because it's, it's self-generated, self-created, but also attached to its own perspectives um, and limited by them. And over time, some but few leaders leave that place behind and stretch into what we call the self-transforming mind, where, the, where they put their, their perspective, their set of ideas, their self-authored value systems into play with the wider world, and they're able to see from their own perspective, but also from other quite different perspectives simultaneously, um, giving them an easier an easier way in and an easier um, sense of a very complex quick changing world.
0: Yeah, yeah that, that's certainly one of the big breakthroughs that I experience with my clients when I'm coaching leaders. Uh, it just blows their minds when they start to grasp that actually it's possible for them to have a view and somebody else to have a different view and for them both to be right yeah. it's like how is that possible and it's, it's a big big light bulb moment uh, once they start to understand that it comes from different people's perspectives their backgrounds their values yeah. their beliefs and that for them that creates a different truth which is really interesting in this so-called post-truth era uh who whose truth is true and whose truth is not true um <laughs> so, so that that's really i i think in many ways key to what's going on in the world I and mean, beyond leadership looking at what's going on in the geopolitical context of people going back to to much more simpler messages around politics uh, because of the complexities of the world, it's much easier to do that to retreat rather than to accept this view that there are so many different perspectives and that they can all be right at the same time. And how how do I, as an individual, reconcile all all of that in my mind? Um, so so, how do you think that people can start to make that transition? What what are the key things that they need to be? taking on board in order to be able to change their thinking in such a way that they can start to appreciate and easily accept these multiple viewpoints because I think that's one of the keys is that it's about acceptance it's not about trying to change other people's viewpoints and it's not necessarily about understanding their viewpoints it's accepting that they do have different viewpoints and that they are valid. So what, what would you think, uh, uh, how would you encourage somebody to, um, approach that kind of change in mindset?
2: So I think one of the, I think one of the keys is simply having a map, right? I think one of the things that adult development theories offer is a map with possibilities. It's, it's only the rare and brave explorer who sets out into an uncharted ocean without some kind of sense of what there might be and how they might navigate. Um, and of course, people, as David said, have been developing all through human history, right? Like this is not, this is not a new phenomenon. What's <laughs> new is how what percentage of people need to be considering their development and making, thoughtful choices about it. So when th- this question you pose, Brett, about how do we, how do we support more people to be making this, um, making this journey into the possibility and promise of development as opposed to the, um, the hardening and, um, and ossifying of the sort of simplistic world is the question that I am most passionate about, particularly given the geopolitical um, context right now and the size and scale of the challenges that face us as a human race. So I would say the first thing we want is a map. We want people to know that there is this thing called development, that they can reflect on themselves, that they can begin to see, how am I making sense of the world? And we can begin to notice, hey, there's another way to do this. Because making sense of the world is something we do automatically. We do it all the time. Humans make meaning as part of being human, but we don't think about doing it all the time. And it, I think it takes a new lens, like we would use a a microscope to see things close up, or a telescope to see things far away, I think we need an adult development theory to help us look into our own meaning making and see possible ways forward so that we can begin to um, thoughtfully take the many steps we know are helpful on this path.
1: um that um, metaphor of map which which jennifer's developed i think is really really helpful because because they've, they've always been maps about uh how we might develop but what's particular about this adult development map uh, is, is is what's there what landscapes are there uh, and what oceans are there uh, and particularly we start to get ideas um like multiple perspectives so so it's uh, not on many leadership maps, if you went back over the last 50 or 100 years, would you find an idea like the legitimacy and importance of somebody else's perspective and the need, if you're going to respond systemically in a way that's intelligent, to be able to incorporate their perspective and by the way, other people's perspectives into your own thinking and replace the idea that that because your thinking is as it is, it is the way to think, um, which uh, if you went back and looked at some of the leadership books in the, you know, from the 1970s, 80s, 90s, that's exactly what you'd see. You'd see a pattern about how do you persuade everyone else that you're, you're right. Um, and, and actually what, what we've done, I think, with this work is introduce um, this wonderful um, confounding idea that you, you may be wrong, and, and if you start from a place of going, hey, I may be wrong, um, I, I really care, but I may be wrong, then it, it liberates something. So I love the way that Jennifer started talking about, you know, what we need is a map. And then I think what's really, really important is what's on the map. And, I, I, you know, what excites me about the work is not only what's on the map at the moment, but what keeps getting added to the map. Um, mm-hmm. Because that, that, that's, there's an edge there that's fabulous.
0: Yeah, and also um, thinking about the NLP pre- presupposition that the map is not the territory. So, so what, whilst we're developing a map, it's only a map and there would be a lot of other maps <laughs> as well. So you, you could imagine that you've got a number of maps layered on top of one another and between them that there's some kind of uh, overall overarching kind of theme that starts to emerge from them perhaps. Um, So so I'm interested to kind of bring this very much back towards the 21st century leadership thinking and we we've touched upon the fact that the world has changed. It's more complex and that is one of the things Which is is driving the change or or the need for change in the way that we lead Uh, and in particular people talk about we're living in a VUCA world volatile and certain complex and ambiguous times which means that the traditional idea that i'm going to come up with a brilliant strategy and i've got a 10-year plan is pretty much redundant because we don't know what landscape's going to be in 10 years of time you know we don't know what it's going to be like in one or two years time or one or two months time even you know things change so so rapidly that leaders need to be able to create an environment where the organisation or the team that they're leading can change, can, to use a, a horrible term, pivot <laughs> um, quickly and go off in new directions. So what, are the, the, what do you see? Um, let's come to you, Jennifer. What do you see as being the key leadership challenges in order to be able to meet this change in, that's going on in the operating environment?
2: I think the key challenges are being able to get our heads and our bodies around an entirely new way of being in the world um, where we are, absolutely yeah. where we are uh, um, dealing with our world, um, the, that the world actually arises in us in a different way. Uh, I don't, I don't think that this is going to be, uh, you know, four competencies or three three, the three things leaders need to do differently or whatever. I think that this is um, that this is a fundamentally developmental journey and that we need to make sense of the world in a new way. It is what my new book is about is this, um, what are, what are the ways we could begin to let go of some of the simplistic traps that have been helpful for us as humans for so long and, um, and now are really, really unhelpful. And how can we reach into a new possi- a new set of possibilities? So for me, it's not about kind of what you know or even what you do. It's about how you know, how you be in this position. And I think that that's, the, that's both the fundamental shift and also among the hardest shifts to make.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that The industrial age has very much been about, you know, it's been about manufacture, production. It's been about doing stuff, being being productive, making a productive use of our time and all that sort of thing. And I love the saying that actually we're human beings. We're not human doings. So we should spend more time focusing on being Mm -hmm. and less time on doing. And I've actually been adopting that in my own practice and finding that the more I am, and the less that I do, the more I actually achieve mm. <laughs> it, it's one of so many of these things are counterintuitive aren 't they because we we have this linear logical approach to how the world works, and it 's not like that actually <laughs> it 's a much more complex system as we 're really starting to appreciate um, so th- th- this this idea of actually in order to lead effectively we need to understand who we are and and be that person and bring bring ourselves because the 20th century leadership model has been around a perception of what a leader should be Mm. and we've tended to mold ourselves into that creating an inauthentic way of leading which doesn't resonate with people and i found in my own experience that I got tripped up early in my career through trying to enact behaviours that I thought were appropriate but were just not consistent with who I am. So I think for me that's a really important message is that to lead effectively you first of all need to understand yourself and who you are so that you can start to get an insight into how other people are because when, once we do that we start to appreciate difference. So, D- David, um, what 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 would you say about that?
1: <laughs> well, I'm just I'm 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 caught by the idea of authenticity and and, and actually the complex nature uh, of trying to define authenticity. Mm, yeah, because uh, I think you know my in a way my heart is it goes out to leaders um, that most of the folk I work with. 50, let me come back at that slightly differently. 55% of leaders that we profile, profile at this, this stage of development which we've labelled Achiever. Um, that, now that, that's about commitment to delivery, it's about focus, uh, it's about rational thinking and, and logicality. Um, and, and it's got an absolute lean uh, into the, 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 the question of success and people buy that, and they buy it for very good reasons. Um, uh, and so it becomes a way of being as, w- as well as a way of thinking, which defines uh, a person, that, a person's engagement with their world. Um, and they can be absolutely entirely authentic in that because it's uh, it, it, it's such a deep commitment, and uh, it's uh, um, uh, it has within it. If the context, and there's always this caveat of if the context, if the context is complex uh, and relatively simple or certainly re- <clears throat> relatively logical answers, don't do it, um, then, uh, then the individual finds themselves, as Bob Keegan called one of his books, in over their heads. And then my heart really goes out to those to those folks because the because the, the, the felt experience is is, is really difficult, um, challenging, and, uh, and 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 at some points um, deeply stressful. So that's when that's when I think I think self knowledge is helpful, vital, important. It's where we start from, but actually um, uh, it needs to be really interrogative. And, and what I notice is that the, the, the critical learning for most people is an ability to inquire. It's a, an ability to ask questions. And of course, those questions start off with themselves um, because who am I, what do I stand for, what do I value? But you know, even at, an, at the earlier stages of development, one can be clear about those, but they can be rather um, solid uh, rather well formed and defined and therefore inflexible. Um, and as, as we talked about earlier, as doubt starts to come into that, as, as I'm less clear about who I am, um, that opens up m- more space. Um, so actually, orthodoxy would say, no, no, it's your job to be absolutely clear about who you are. But I think the scope in here some of this ambiguity uh, is, is it, it 's really important, so I think we need to be able to inquire into who we are and and, and keep that fluid. We also need to be able to inquire into our relationships because it 's because nothing we do at a senior level is is in the context that isn 't about relationships. Mm. And finally, we need to be able to inquire into the system what is going on around us and where you know where what part can i play in it so i think i think you know in service of this question of, of 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 not knowing we have to become very very much more adept at questioning and exploring and being able to 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 question what we what we thought we knew uh, yeah. and that's that's upending it's really yeah. upending so so we talk about these transitions you know from this um, stage of meaning making to the next, as if it's a, a jolly jape, but actually <laughs> some people it's quite um, you know
0: it's quite i think upending is a really good word yeah, and I, I think um, one of the keys is that we we have a, a very strong sense of our personal identity, and at each stage we are questioning that identity, which when our identity is questioned we feel threatened and when we behave aggressively very often it's because we feel that somebody has threatened something which is very close to our identity and so when we start questioning our own identity it creates a kind of internal threat and and a um a feeling of unease and until we start to be able to get to a point of reforming that identity and, and having a solid base again, it's like the ground is shifting underneath our feet whilst we, we're going through that change. Um, I think,
1: just briefly, say I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and it's, um, um, it's always unstable at that point, because, because what, what, what happens is that as well as new stuff coming, stuff is given up. So we, so you know, Jennifer talks about about not moving into easy answers, but we we give up stuff that has been familiar and easy to us for stuff that we don't know yet how it will be. Um,
0: yeah. uh, Jennifer, I, th- I, I, th- I think Jennifer, I mean that that was an important point that you made, and I've made a note about it here to to revisit. Is this whole thing of letting go, and in order to progress we do need to let go. I, I always use this metaphor that if you want to get to the other side of the room, if you're holding on to, to a heavy chair, you, you've either got to try and drag it with you or you have to let go of it. So um, letting go, I think, is, is very important, both in terms of letting go of our own need to be a certain way uh, and to lead in a certain way and have the organisation structured in a certain way. Um, but But also that idea that When we let go we then create possibility so what's been your experience of of that kind of letting go process how have you seen that happen with leaders that you've worked with
2: um i think the letting go process is vital uh and i think it happens in different ways for different people Uh, uh very often, my experience is that very often the leaders I work with don't uh, you know they don't they don't run skipping and jumping into a leadership development program, delighted to be <laughs> letting go of their old identities like here's my old identity, I'm done with it, send it off to goodwill you know we um, <laughs> we are happy to change our clothes and our houses and um and our cars for newer shinier bigger ones um just part of our environmental problem but we're much less happy to change our identities for newer um potentially bigger ones Mm -hmm. and so i i think it often starts when people come and find that there's some kind of mismatch between who they're being now and what the world is calling for of them the Th- this mismatch causes some kind of pain or disturbance for them and um and they tend to come to me under those circumstances, you know, like there's something that doesn't fit me anymore, and I don't understand what I'm to do about it and and then it's about being able to piece through so what is it that you're holding on to? It's very easy to say, "Let go of the chair," but people don't know what they're holding on to <laughs> um, and so trying to figure out what is it that you are so attached to in this current way you have of making sense. Often it, it's something like, it's worked for me in the past. I'm afraid that if I let go of this, I'm going to lose what's made me successful. I'm going to lose my drive. Uh, David was talking about doubt. Doubt can be terrifying for people. The idea that they would lose their certainty um, is a, a gaping abyss. And so, helping people come to... It's another reason the map is a useful metaphor, right? Helping people come to terms that, yeah, there there are sort of forests of fog through which we walk and then we come out to a clearing and that's the developmental pathway, is about losing clarity in order to gain a new kind of clarity. And I I think whatever metaphors or supports or handholds we can offer, I I think the more accompanied people will feel in these transitions. And I don't think we're, we're going to be able to make them painless or not scary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I love the Marianne Williamson quote that people aren't frightened of being powerless, they're frightened that they're powerful beyond measure. Uh, and, and I think there's something about once you let go of your limitations then the possibilities become so scary and there's a a sense that actually now I have to act I have to do things differently I have to think I've got a responsibility to myself and to others to be all I can be so as a leader suddenly I'm not leading with a very narrow focus I'm having to think much bigger and be a much bigger person and something I'd like to come come onto to from that perspective is that as we develop and grow and as our responsibilities increase there's this imposter syndrome and how do you feel that impacts us as we develop and grow is it a case that you come to a, a new level uh, if 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 we look at the leadership development framework for example you go through a transformation and you get to the next next level of leadership and then that becomes extremely scary and um so you you kind of go back to feeling that you're not a big enough person for this and it takes time to grow into it um what what's been your experience with that, uh, David, in, in your work? And um, what kind of strategies can people use? Because th- that that's something that is common through all the different phases that you go through, that you, that you get to a new level and it's suddenly this is new, this is different, and how am I going to cope? Um, so so what, what sort of advice would you have to particularly younger leaders that are coming up through in, in this uh very difficult world that we are living in
1: actually um the younger leaders that i'm working with give me great inspire me enormously and i'm uh, as i look at them i'm much less worried um uh, but anyway that's just, yeah. that's that's another part <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Of uh, i think one of the interesting things is that, that as we move through these different ways of seeing the world we do take some stuff with us so, so, you know, the danger of the conversation so far has, has been that we've been kind of speaking in terms that suggest we, we transform into something completely different. And of course, we don't because we, you know, I'm recognizably David Rook and people who have known me since I was 20 would recognize the 20 year old in me today. Um, and of course, there's been some changes. And, and I think what's really interesting is how we, the things we take with us, we start to see differently so i think if you take that idea of the imposter syndrome for example um one uh, you know at an earlier stage in our lives we we may simply totally believe that if only they knew what i how little i know you know they'd kick me out immediately <laughs> yeah. and that you know and of course i i think probably most of us have had that you know, that, 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 that experience. Later on, you, you might still feel sometimes if only they knew how little I know, but you, you then see that in relative terms, you notice that, that that's been something you've brought with you, It doesn't seem to be disabling, you hear from other people that that's the, that's the story. And you also get curious to know how that perspective helps you. Um, what, what that, what gift that holds for you? So, so I think one of one of the the, the important things here is about is, is is thinking about what is it that we bring with us. How do we see what we bring with us in a in a different light? And of course, what do we choose to absolutely leave behind in its in its entirety? Um, and and that's a possibility and so you know what's my advice to leaders it's to it's to notice those things it's to notice and particularly um, to to think about habits and to think about what is it that I do that's been so useful that's got me here that's helped create the the i that I am in the world and the and the way that i'm effective, and where do those habits constrain me uh, and and how might I either view them differently uh, or, or or reform them in, in, in some way so certainly advice um, is very much in the in, in the territory of asking people to think about about what's habitual and how that serves and doesn't serve
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and I think this idea you mentioned. Of about people being in over their heads. uh, That's the kind of principle that people get promoted to their level of incompetence, which is is something I've never really bought into. I've always felt that people reach a level where their old competencies no longer serve them and they haven't had the opportunity um, to develop the ones that they need for the new new context. Uh, so, So to me, it's not that the person is incompetent, it's the fact that... Either they've been unsupported or they've been unable themselves to, to take on the competencies that they need. Um, so w- one of the things that I, I think we need to be questioning, and, and, and you've both of you have uh, referred to the importance of, of questioning, is the assumptions that we make around what is success and how we de- define success. because Traditionally, it's been in terms of revenues, profits, market share, uh, and that kind of thing. How do we create a different def- definition of success as leaders? Jennifer, would you like to jump in on that one?
2: I don't know how. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know that we need to create a different definition of success. Not just as leaders, as humans, we need to create a different definition of success. And, um, and I know that development supports us to be able to have a different set of choices about how we orient to our definitions of success. Whether we have them written for us by society, whether we write them ourselves, or whether we, we believe that we're sort of co- co-writing um, co-participate in co-creating these definitions. So I think success is an important thing for us to look at, and I think uh, it goes with so much in the complex world. It's very easy to measure revenues, and one of the one of the quirks of the human brain is that we often substitute an easy question for a complex one, and we don't notice it. And I think even pointing that set of ideas out, like we've just done that substitution thing again, um, but I think is very helpful because I think leaders, pretty all the leaders I've ever worked with, no matter where they are developmentally, they don't mean to have a version of success that's just about revenue. Like that's a that's one of David's habits. You know, that's a a habit they fall into because it's easy. As opposed to a thing that they want to truly believe, their images of themselves have much more complexity than that, and their images of their organizations have much more complexity than that. They just don't always remember to talk about it or to solve for that.
0: Okay, so I think we're coming towards the end of our time. Um, so, what, what I'd like from each of you is if you could kind of summarize in a few words, um, what do you feel are the key Leadership traits that leaders need to be developing in order to thrive in the environment that we 're going into, would you like to start david
1: yes um, i th- i think I think we're seeing in the planet today we're we're, 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 we're finally seeing that system all systems are connected um, and so I think uh, i think it's that consciousness um it, it it's an ability to um to to not move for the easy answer um to to, to actually be um quite um demanding uh, intellectually i think we've, 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 we we've in recent years we've kind of we've been rather critical of people's intellects because the body and the spirit has been neglected. But the, the, the intellect is terribly important as we try to deal with complexity. Um, and so to not be lazy. Um, when Hannah Arendt uh, re- reported on the Adolf Eichmann trial, she, she, she coined the term, the banality of evil. And she talked, when, she, when she talked about Adolf Eichmann, she just said there was no evil there. There was simply an, an absence of thought. And I think in these times, um, thinking well uh, and thinking hard uh, is really, really important. And I think one of the, as Jennifer was saying a moment ago, organizations don't enough encourage people to do that. They point people at simple, singular uh, things, and I think that's very unhelpful.
2: I think we, I totally agree with you, David, and and I, I'll layer on. <laughs> that I think we also need to help develop a tolerance for our ambiguity, a tolerance for not knowing, um, and, and recognize in ourselves when those things are making us want to retreat into those easy answers as opposed to strike out into new possibilities into the world of experimentation and learning. And, I, I think we'll also, I, I, I have a sense that the the sort of 20th century vision of a leader that you were referring to earlier, Brett, was about leaders being superhuman. You know, like masking their vulnerability, um, knowing all the answers, charging ahead into the world. And I I believe that the 21st century, with its with its focus on machines and artificial intelligence and automation and globalism and all those things, I think what we actually are called on is to be super humans, like to be fantastically human and to be aware of those things in our humanity that pull us together and to be aware of those quirks or traits in us that drive us apart and then to have a perspective on which we want to choose and to choose that even if it's harder, even if it makes us more anxious, even if it leads us into doubt or even if it weakens our temporary position in the face of some longer term hope. So I I think that takes courage. Um, I think it takes um, some kind of passion for something bigger than us, some connection to our purpose. Um, Our purpose as human beings on a planet as opposed to my purpose of getting a new car next year and and i think it i think it requires that we make sense of one another and are able to deeply take the perspectives of other people in order not to change them and not to necessarily move to be them but to enlarge ourselves so that we can hold some of the vastness that we need to hold in order to address these challenges
0: mm, absolutely so that's the way that i look at things is that we need to transition from an egocentric worldview to an ecocentric worldview uh, and an important part of that is as you say developing this tolerance of ambiguity um, once we accept that the world doesn't revolve around us and our needs then everything becomes that much more more complex and being able to sit with that i think as leaders That's one of the most important things is getting away from this thing of certainty and to this place of, actually, I know nothing. That's not my job. (laughs) Uh, What's important for me is to be able to hold the values and make sure that everybody is working in a coherent way rather than getting involved in what they're doing or how they're doing so this idea of the for leaders in particular having a tolerance of ambiguity it's going to be increasingly hard for a leader to know everything that's going on in their organization and they've got to be comfortable with not knowing everything and finding out that there are things going on they knew nothing about and that there's great projects that have been launched that they don't know anything about. So the, the organization starts to take on a life of its own and, and the leader has to go with that and go with that energy rather than trying to lead from the front, they're actually somewhere in the middle sensing what's going on and encouraging people cheering on those that are doing great stuff and perhaps having a little word with the people that maybe aren't doing quite the right thing to kind of get them all moving in the same direction and create that coherence so so that that is very much my sense of of the key challenges for leadership in the 21st century so thank you both very much for for your insights and contributions that's been brilliant so just to sum up, um, what are you doing now? What are you working on now?
1: Oh, continuing to work with leaders um, in, in this um, in this space in the uh, in in the area of you know how the, how they manage um, how they lead. Um, uh, uh, it, it's a continued inquiry because um, because we you know none of us have the solution, so we continue to work um, in depth. Um, with with leaders who are willing to ask those questions so that's what we're working on
0: cool cool and Jennifer
2: Well, I just have a book out so um, my new book as you said is called unlocking leadership mind traps and it's meant to get these ideas farther out into the world very often these ideas have been they've they've been for the privileged, for those who have the time or the resources to get their arms around them. And I think this is a time for us to see how far we can get um, ideas that I find life-changing and life-enhancing. How how far can we get those into the world? So my new book is meant to be a part of that. Um, I'm that sort of I care deeply about the work I do with senior leaders and I also care deeply about trying to figure out how to help the human race itself evolve.
0: So, some key ideas there. Leadership is a journey, not a destination. Understanding multiple truths and letting go of old assumptions and habits. To find out more about the LDF and David's other work, go to harthill.co.uk. That's H-A-R-T-H-I-L-L and for the full lowdown on jennifer's five mind traps buy a copy of her book unlocking leadership mind traps how to thrive in complexity it's a great read looking ahead to episode six i'll be talking with Alex kitchen founder and social entrepreneur paul lindley about what the world needs from leaders in the 21st century until then goodbye If you'd like to get in touch about any of the topics raised in this podcast or if you'd like to discuss other aspects of leadership development and business strategy, just send an email to podcast at UKleadershipacademy.com. I look forward to hearing from you.